Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, it's awesome that we have some people here in the auditorium in the sanctuary at City. And um, so grateful for that. As all of us know, we're going to be having two services here at City Church Central on Ryle Road next Sunday morning at 9 and 11. Sign-ups for that are online. But we're so excited because the last two Sundays, last Sunday and this, we have been kind of doing a dry run here at City Church Central to get ready. And so it's awesome to preach to people and not at three cameras. So this is great. So, so thankful that you all agreed to join here with us this morning. Now, it is Father's Day. Pastor Chris has already mentioned that, that it is Father's Day. And in honor of Father's Day in my own life, I'm wearing a watch, a belt, a shirt, and cologne that my kids bought me over the years. So I have all of that on, and I'm actually wearing a blue pair of shoes that I have, and so does my son. And so everything that I'm wearing is pretty much due to being a dad. Now, this sermon has to do with the Holy Spirit series that we are a part of. And the theme verse for our Holy Spirit series is this. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Here's what scripture says. Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate in many versions of the Bible. It's entitled Comforter to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, what I'm going to be talking about next week more in depth is the fact that Jesus was in a triune relationship with his heavenly father and with the Holy Spirit. But suffice it to say, the scripture shows us that Jesus was a son. He too had a father. And there's something to do with that father-son dynamic. And again, next Sunday morning, I'll be dealing with that much more deeply. But this morning, the focus of this sermon is the idea of a father for Father's Day. Now, I have to admit that this Father's Day sermon is going to be much different than any other Father Day sermon that I've ever preached. And the reason for that is, is that for the first time in 55 years, my own dad is not here. Usually on this day, I would be calling him and wishing him a happy Father's Day if we weren't together. But on March 19th of this year, at the age of 87, my father passed away. And so, this Father's Day is different for me. I remember one thing my dad taught me. Here's what he said, son, when you turned 50, he said, you're going to experience people around you passing away. He said, I don't say that to be negative, it's just true. Because at that age, people your age, things health-wise tend to happen more frequently. And then those people that you knew that are older tend to move towards passing. I never forgot that he said that. But this Father's Day sermon 
directly and indirectly will be in honor of my dad. Indirectly. Because all of us, myself included, are imprinted by our dads. For better or for worse. We have inherited their strengths and also their weaknesses. I used to joke with my dad and I would say to him, Dad, my stellar good looks that I have are not because of you. And he would say, I know, you're adopted. (laughs) And then he would explain to me about how bad arrogance is. My dad was like his dad. They were both very German. They worked hard. They loved to take old and broken things and fix them. And so when I was just a young boy, my dad, I think, to keep us out of trouble, ended up buying a farm in Nina, Wisconsin, and it was an old dairy farm that was no longer functioning, but he bought that farm with a small chunk of property, and we were raised on a farm. Needless to say, on a broken down farm, you can fix a lot of things. He was in heaven. Many days I felt like I was in the opposite of heaven, living on that farm. But he loved to fix stuff, and now so do I. His dad loved to fix stuff. He loved to fix stuff, and so now I do as well. I'm the youngest of three boys, And so I remember being on the farm when dad would begin one of his construction projects or he would be fixing one of the old sheds on our farm. I was relegated to taking the lumber that had been pulled off of the barn or pulled off of the sheds and I was relegated to pulling nails. I think I have pulled nails out of boards more than any human being alive. But here's an interesting thing. Not only did I pull the nails for safety's sake, But I also had to straighten all the nails because my dad was going to reuse every single one of them. When we left the farm, we had five-gallon buckets filled with old rusty nails that had been straightened. And yes, we moved them to the next property with us. He wouldn't throw anything away. Now, here's what I would tell you is that when you get older, and for those of you who are younger watching this sermon, this will become fun for you. When you become an adult, there will be times over meals where you will jokingly confess your sins to your parents. You will share things with them. And I still remember to this day telling my dad about something that I did that he knew nothing about. And it was this. After the second move after the farm... So we had left the farm, there were buckets of nails, there was old lumber from the farm that my dad had moved, now moving to the second house after our farm. I remember I was hired by the moving company to help them load the truck. I was in my late teens at the time, mid to late teens. And so what I did was, I looked at the guy who I was moving with, he was the owner of the moving company, at least he was the driver of the truck, And the way our house was situated in South Carolina, there was some woods that were not far from the house. And I remember getting ready to load up these old boards into the moving truck. And the guy looked at me and he said, really? You're actually going to move these? And I said, nope. And we started chucking them in the woods. 
and we chucked so much lumber back into the woods. And I can remember as I was older confessing that sin to my dad. I thought it was funny. He was ticked off. And he said, I wondered where all that lumber went and I knew he was lying. He had not remembered any of it. Now, I remember stories that my dad told me from his childhood. They're the most vivid stories that I remember. I remember one in particular. It's a story from the Great Depression. My father was raised in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, Canada. Prince Rupert is a coastline shipping village that's up above Vancouver Island. It's where he was raised. During the Great Depression, my grandfather lost his job. Reason why? There was no work to be had. And because of that, some things happened with my grandfather's health. And he was unable to work because as a German, working is where you get your value from. He was unable to work. And so what ended up happening were the, the salmon fishermen would come and they would place salmon on the front steps of every house where the man did not have a job. They did it at night, not to embarrass anyone. And so everyone knew that if you didn't have a job, every morning when you opened your door, there would be salmon wrapped in newspaper, very inconspicuously placed in your front door so that you would have something to eat. That story is a story I remember well. Funny enough, my dad always loved salmon. That stunned me. Not only this about my dad, but he was very tight with money. Can't you tell? Well, what else was stunning was how generous he was. I found out later in life that he had given to certain people, and they would let me know about that. One time when I was at college, I found out he paid part of some other student's tuition. I had no idea he even knew. But my dad also tells the story of when he was young. When he was young during the Great Depression, my grandfather gave him the mortgage payment to walk up the hill and pay the man that they had bought the house from. The mortgage payment was $15. $15. That was the mortgage. The problem is my dad lost it on the way from his house to the man's house that they had bought the home from. He has no clue what happened to that money. But I remember so vividly when I was young remembering that story and the look on my dad's face when he talked about losing the mortgage payment of $15. My dad held academics in high regard. So did his dad. His dad had had to quit school to help afford and provide for the family. So my grandfather was very much into education. My dad and his two siblings both received graduate degrees at some point during their lifetime. What I remember also about my dad is when we were living on the farm and I was just a young boy, he earned an MBA from the University of Wisconsin. And so what's interesting to me now is I also took an advanced degree when my children were young. It seemed so natural and logical to do that. What I discovered later was 
That's not very natural for a lot of people, nor is it logical. But here's the point to think about. Our dads imprint us. Men, as dads, if you are one or if you will be one, you will imprint your children as well, for better or for worse. When I was in graduate school, when I, before I was married, my dad became a follower of Jesus. It was during a church service where an altar call was given, and he simply responded to the altar call, went front, knelt down, accepted Christ, turned around and went back to his seat. My mother was stunned. He hadn't attended church much when we were young, and here I was in seminary getting ready for my future, and he gave his heart to Christ. Interestingly enough, though, his faith was always relatively quiet. He believed in Jesus, he walked with Christ, but it was definitely a quiet part of his life. Here's another thing about my dad. He had narcolepsy. And narcolepsy is a sleeping disorder where you just simply fall asleep. I think my dad slept through part of every single sermon he ever came to hear me preach. He would just fall asleep like some of you are now. One time, and I remember this so clearly, I was on the farm working with my dad. We had a long extension ladder leaning up against a shed, and I was pushing uh, bundles of shingles up the ladder to my dad. He would turn around, reach them, grab them, and throw them on the roof. I was two-thirds of the way up the ladder, and I was pushing this bundle of shingles, and my dad was sound asleep on the ladder. Here I am with a bundle of shingles, and you cannot back down a ladder when your hands are full. It's not how ladders work. And I remember yelling at him, Dad, wake up, wake up. I thought every kid's dad fell asleep like mine did. I didn't know the difference. He was sound asleep, but the part I haven't mentioned yet was he had a hammer in his hand. He was sound asleep on the ladder, and the hammer was about five feet above my head. I was pushing the bundle of shingles up to him, and he was sound asleep. Finally, he woke up, put the hammer in his belt, turned around, grabbed the bundle of shingles from me, and told me to quit yelling so loudly that it annoyed him. I've shared a little bit about my dad. But again, as I said at the outset, this sermon directly or indirectly will be to honor my dad. One of the reasons for this is, is that Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, tells us this. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. So in honor of my dad, this sermon's going to be relatively brief and to the point. He was German. He loved mathematics, which I'll never understand how anyone can love math. He loved math. If you told him a story, he wanted you to get to the point of the story. So dad, this will be briefer and to the point more than most sermons. But here's the reality of the scripture I just read. Honor your father and your mother. You see, there are 10 commandments. This one is the fifth. The first four, they're about a relationship with God. The last six 
are about relationships with people. But what's fascinating is, although honor your father and your mother is the fifth, it's actually also the first. It's the first in the following way. It's first in the line of those laws that deal with how we relate to people. It's the first one. There's something about honoring fathers and mothers that's critical to have a culture in a society that functions the best. It's also the first because it's the first commandment with a promise. As you know when I preach, I love to take Older Testament stories and New Testament stories in every sermon because I believe the Older Testament gives depth to the Newer Testament and depth to Jesus. Well, the story I felt drawn to is a unique one that I noticed in my daily Bible reading. It's one, although I've read through the Bible many times before, I had missed this story and it gripped me for Father's Day. This story is about King David. King David's made famous because he killed Goliath. But this story caught my attention because it deals honestly with David as a father. If you were to read in the scriptures, you would discover, especially in the Older Testament, that there are often what's called parallel books. In the Older Testament, you have First and Second Chronicles, and then you have the books of Kings. Chronicles and Kings talk about some of the same stories, but from different perspectives. When you read about David in his old age and when he died in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 28, here's what the text tells us. He, meaning David, died at a good old age. Having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor, his son Solomon succeeded him as king. David was the second king of Israel after Saul. Solomon, David's son, became the third king of Israel. You'd also discover in the scriptures that the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He was also a warrior. He was a king. He was a psalmist. He wrote worship songs. David was one of those unique men. He was a man's man. We would call him a renaissance man. But if you read 1 Chronicles 29, verse 28, chapter 29, verse 28, you hear this story about David in his old age died, he enjoyed life, he had wealth, and he had honor, and Solomon succeeded, succeeded him as king. But what's interesting about the Bible is the Bible oftentimes gives us a full portrait We'll, we, we'll read about one person from one angle, and then God will show us something about that person from another angle in a different book. It's not that there's falsehood on either side. It's just that there are different perspectives about the same person's life, and the same is true about yours. There's different perspectives. First Chronicles tends to show the best side of King David. But in 1 Kings, we find the shadow side of King David. Because again, 1 Chronicles just simply says, lived a long life, was wealthy, had great honor, and his son Solomon became the next king. 
But if you were to read in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, you would discover that Kings brings another side. It mentions that David's last year or days was not as simple as it sounds. Solomon becoming king was not as smooth as it sounds. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, the scripture tells us now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. And then verse 6 is a stunning verse. It says, his father, King David, had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. There's a little hint in the text, by the way, that Absalom should have been the next king, but if you know the Older, older Testament story, you know that Absalom had died. So here we have Ananijah. He's making a move to become king. Now what's interesting, though, is the text tells us that David had abdicated his fatherhood in the life of this young man. It tells us clearly that David had never rebuked him, asking him, why do you behave the way you do? The text says that this young man, Adonijah, he was also very handsome. There's a hint there. Because when we meet David in the Older Testament for the very first time, it tells us that the prophet Samuel is looking for the king to follow Saul, and he knows it's going to come from David's family. And so all of David's older brothers get lined up first, and the, and the prophet Samuel keeps rejecting all of David's older brothers. And he comes to the end of the line, and he looks at the dad and says, there has to be another son. God has rejected all of these. There must be another son. And they said, oh, yeah. His name's David, but he's way out in the pasture. He's kind of a runt. He's kind of this. And the, and the prophet said, go and get him. And David is brought before the prophet. And when the prophet looks at David, he announces over David that God will anoint him to be the next king of Israel. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12, it's very interesting what the, God, the book of Samuel tells us about David. I want you to listen. It says, so he sent for him. Remember, David was out in the pasture as the youngest. So he sent for him and had David brought in. Here's the description of David. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. It's fascinating. Because when the scripture describes to us Adonijah, it just simply says about him that David had never rebuked him and said, why are you acting like this? Why do you behave this way? It tells us that he was also very handsome. It's fascinating. What we quickly come to understand with a little bit of biblical study is that David was handsome when he was young too. And there's something in the text that tells us that David sees himself in Adonijah. And because of that, he let him slide on a lot of things that he shouldn't have. 
And the scripture says that David parented him differently than he did his other children. He never asked him, why do you behave the way you do? He had never rebuked him. Well, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that that ended up with trouble. And the text tells us in the book of 1 Kings that here David is, he's up in years, he's literally on his deathbed. And while he's on his deathbed, Adonijah begins to make a move to take the throne. Here's what's interesting. If you think about this practically and spiritually, what we discover, men, is that David never dealt with his stuff. There were some things that David never brought before the Lord. He never dealt with them. Maybe putting it bluntly, he never went for counseling to deal with some of the stuff of his own life. And his son had inherited it. It's interesting, but David was unable to parent his own self through the son that reminded him most of himself. He was unable to deal with those types of weaknesses. And it ended up placing his son in awkward, selfish, ungodly positions. The idea here is this, is that men... We pass our stuff down, whether it's good or it's a weakness. We pass it down. And as we look at David, this becomes very clear. The hints of it are here in the Older Testament where the ancient scriptures whisper to us that even though David was king and Chronicles boasts about David that he died wealthy and was honored and was powerful, 1 Kings gives us the other side of the story and in there there's a warning for all of us men. And now in closing... I want to move to the New Testament father. And looking at the Older Testament father through David, we now come into the Newer Testament and we are going to read a quote by one of David's descendants. The quote is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It's known in a lot of circles as the Our Father. You see, Jesus is a great, 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 great grandson of King David or something like that number of greats. And here we discover that Jesus is teaching people how to pray. Something that we know that David did. David was a man of prayer, yes. But now we discover Jesus teaches us men a new prayer. He was literally teaching his disciples about prayer. And in Matthew 6... 9 through 13, Jesus says this. This then is how you men should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Honor the name of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. Men, I want you to repeat this prayer out loud with me. Pray it out loud, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you are in a dorm room, you're in your home, an apartment, wherever you are. I want you to pray it out loud with me. Men, let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You will notice in that prayer, similar to the Ten Commandments, there's a call to you and me, men. And it's this, that we will be a people who forgive. What dawned on me in looking at the Our Father to close out this sermon, here's what dawned on me, and I've never seen this before. The final phrase is a prayer that God would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But the phrase before that says this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Other Bibles say, and forgive us our trespasses as we have also forgiven our trespassors. Here's what I saw for the very first time, men. That if we are not people who choose to forgive and live in a constant state of forgiveness, the final part of that prayer will become impossible even for God. If we choose not to forgive and to hold on to bitterness, God's leadership in our life will be hugely thwarted and his trying to lead us away from the evil one will limp at best. I think the final two are linked. If we want God to lead us away from the enemy in our life, then we must participate in being people who always forgive. Always. And so men, as we put feet to our faith, as we put feet to our faith, there's just two simple things for every man on Father's Day. The first. David was among the best of biblical men, and he had stuff. With the help of the Holy Spirit, let's choose to confront and deal with ours. I've thought about David lying there on his deathbed. And if you know the rest of the story, Adonijah ends up losing his life because Solomon takes his life because of him continually trying to get the throne. You see, David had not dealt with his stuff and it was passed on down to his sons. There was also some great stuff too. I don't want you to think that everything David passed on was not good. There was great stuff, including Jesus. David has Jesus in his lineage. But it's very apparent biblically that David didn't deal with a lot of his stuff. 
And his kids were the inheritors of that, especially his sons. The last thing about putting feet to your faith is be a forgiving person. The Our Father all hinges on us being willing to forgive. Are we men forgivers? Is this something we believe in and practice and ask God to help us to do it? But this forgiveness flows from God to us first. We find in God the forgiveness for our own sins. And then we also find from God the forgiveness to forgive people who have sinned against us. But I believe that that cycle that comes from God to us and then passed to others can be thwarted if we choose to not forgive. Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together in closing, I'd like every one of us, men and women alike, to open up our hearts to the present working of the Holy Spirit. But specifically men. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with our stuff? Maybe we need to sign up for emotionally healthy spirituality with Pastor Gabe. Maybe we need to do that. Men, maybe for the very first time, you need to take a spiritual step towards God that's concrete and allows you to deal with some of your stuff. I would challenge you, put feet to your faith. And then the question is, as we all stand together, men and women alike, but specifically men, am I a forgiving person? Am I allowing the Spirit of God to deeply convict me and to challenge me to be a person that forgives.